So today we are coming to the conclusion of our fall series uh, on the seven deadly sins and the seven virtues that go with. And if you are a guest with us today, it has been quite an adventure. (laughs) Over the last couple of months, we have talked about lust, gluttony, anger, greed, envy, sloth. And today we arrive at pride. See? See how that worked itself out? Yeah. Um, Poor Drew, too. I think Drew still had to go through the process, even though he's not even speaking. He's like, oh. Yeah. Don't worry, Drew. Um, In each of these series, we have peeled back the layers and revealed these uncomfortable truths about our broken nature. But also, this is my favorite part. But also, we have discovered where the grace of God meets us. Amen? Because it's not for just the purpose of peeling back the layers. Actually, it's for the purpose of discovering where God meets us in those places. Will you guys pray with me as we begin? Father, thank you for being here and present with us. Thank you for your word and the truth on which we can stand. Holy Spirit, I would just pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear from you this morning. May the words that I speak be straight from you. You have already gone before us. It is no surprise that I am standing here with this message this morning because you have already gone before us. And I believe with all of my heart that you have something to speak to each one of us if we will listen. So, Father, help us to do that. In your mighty name, amen. First Peter 5, 5 through 7 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We don't have to go too far in the Bible to discover how God feels about pride. He opposes it, but also we discover how he feels about us. He cares for us. According to 1 Peter, the right path is to walk in humility toward others. Because, let's get real, if we decide to uh, be prideful, that means that we are choosing to go toe-to-toe with God. And that doesn't work out so well. Humanity does not have the greatest record of going toe-to-toe with God. Actually, starting with Satan, pride led him to being cast down and out of heaven. Adam and Eve, pride led led them to want to be like God, and they were cast out of the garden. In Genesis 11, humanity wanted to make a name for themselves, and they built a tower to God, and then they were scattered and confused. In Exodus, Pharaoh would not acknowledge the authority of God because he basically thought he was God and was completely taken out. There are hundreds of more examples that we find in the word. Um, But the bottom line is, if you feel like going toe-to-toe with God, 
don't do it. It's a bad idea. It doesn't end well. And yet we know this, right? We know this. We've seen this. We wrestle with it. And yet pride continues to lure us in to believing that we're better off on our own. That we're better off being in charge of our own life. That I can be self-sufficient. That I can work hard enough to be self-sustaining. That I don't really need God. I'm doing great on my own. Thank you very much. We are in charge of our own destiny. Yet, the opposite was true of Jesus. The one who we claim to be our Lord. The one who we claim to follow. It says in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Even though Jesus was equal with God, he did not consider it. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He chose the posture of humility in laying his life down for our broken world. In opposition to pride, humility is having a broad and profound perspective. A broad and profound perspective on reality. In which you can clearly see your own place and calling with truth and grace. When we look at these verses, it's not like Jesus has low self-esteem. It's not like he, he did that because he says, oh, the Father always makes me do the dirty work. One day I'll be as great as my Father if only I do this. That's not where Jesus' heart was at. He wasn't being passive-aggressive. He wasn't trying to have control. No, he had a broad and profound perspective on reality. He saw the reality of our dilemma. That is what was motivating him to go to the cross. The reality that what was needed to be done for our broken and dying world, instead of choosing self-preservation, he chose love. This is amazing. And also so hard to follow. Why is it so hard to posture ourselves with humility? Why is it so hard to keep a broad and profound perspective on our own reality, our own place in this world, our own calling, who we are? I would say that um, one of the reasons is that pride is so interwoven into our very natures. From the beginning of time, 
we have had an anti-God bent. The culture in which we live is saturated, saturated with the disease of pride, so much so that we value it. It is one of our top values. And because of this, we don't even realize how much it is a part of us because it's the water in which we swim. So what do we do when our belief in Jesus and our desire to be like him puts us at odds, puts us in this contrasted place with our culture that fully supports and even promotes this disease of pride? So this morning, we're going to go back to an Old Testament story. And I think this story really captures the influence of pride really well. So will you guys turn with me to 2 Kings uh, chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him, So today, leprosy is called Hansen's disease, and it's not the same uh, big of a deal as it was back in Naaman's time because you can take medication, you can actually heal from it. But it was a horrible disease in the time of Naaman uh, and would slowly lead to death over years, sometimes decades. It would take that long. It was a bacteria that messed with your nerves, and so you could not feel, you didn't have the ability to feel, and it would begin to, your skin would deteriorate, and there would be boils. It was nasty. In fact, there are pictures you can look up, and I decided not to show them to you. (laughs) That's at your own discretion. So, but here's how we are introduced to this guy, Naaman. He was a mighty warrior. He's a commander of armies. He's greatly admired by the king, but he suffered from leprosy, which wasn't a disease you could easily hide because some of the first places affected by leprosy were your hands, feet, nose, ears. So people could tell Naaman was sick, but my guess is that they they didn't say much about it. So I do wonder, uh, have you ever met someone who is highly successful, who seems to be admired by all, but you can tell that they are sick? Underneath that outside appearance of success and accolades, something just seems off. I'm going to bring it a little closer to home. Can you identify with that? That outwardly having some level of success working hard to maintain your influence, giving your best to be responsible, take care of business. But underneath, you feel like you're missing something. You feel like something in you is decaying or falling apart, and you're trying to put a finger on it. Well, this is Naaman, outwardly impressive, but inwardly dying, and he is presented with an interesting opportunity. Let's go to verse 2. At this, Aramean raiders, oh, at this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, 
And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman ends up with this Israelite servant in his home after they invaded Israel. This girl knew that there is a God powerful enough to deal with his sickness and actually suggests that he goes to see the prophet in Samaria. So Naaman actually responds to the servant. Maybe there is some hope ignited in him. Maybe something could help this um, disease that he was dealing with. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Well, go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter, I present my servant, my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. So basically, Naaman gets the hookup, right? He, the king of Aram says, yes, absolutely. I want you to go do this. I want you to get this sickness thing figured out. You are the best I have. So I will send you with an entourage, a whole ton of money to make sure this thing gets done. We're going to seal the deal. So Naaman gets to the king of Israel, and this is his response. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. The king of Israel thinks, oh man, this is an impossible situation. What am I supposed to do? This has to be a setup. I can't heal this guy. And when he goes back to King Aram, still sick, they're going to come and attack us. Verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But... Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. You guys know the song? They went down to the river and dipped. No one? Surely? Yeah, I knew it. And he dipped and he dipped and he dipped and he dipped. Anyway, uh, but Naaman, we were not there yet. I jumped the gun. Sorry. Uh, But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Expectations. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? You want me to go in the Jordan? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. Okay, 
This is awesome. So Naaman, this man of great power and importance, shows up to Elisha's house to receive his healing. And Elisha himself doesn't even come to the door. (laughs) He sends a messenger to say, yeah, go up there and uh, dip in that Jordan over there seven times. You'll be fine. He was furious. Naaman was furious. And he feels disrespected because he is a big deal. We could say that he was a proud man. He comes to Elijah with hope for healing, but the problem is he also wants to dictate how that healing happens. His expectation is for Elisha to wave some kind of magic wand and make it all better. And I wonder if sometimes this is the way we come to God. How often do we come to the Lord in a similar mindset? God, I really need help. And someone told me that you can help me. But here's how I want you to help me. Will you please do this, this, and this? See, pride is interesting. Because just like in the Garden of Eden, pride beckons us to be our own God. Still be in control. Pride calls us into being the one who calls the shots. Pride invites us to be the master of our own fate. This part's funny. So Naaman's officers actually call him out. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, and he dipped himself seven times, as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. So, what can we learn from Naaman's story about pride? One of the first things I notice is that pride wants to mask need. Pride wants to cover up need. Pride does not want to show the vulnerability of our need. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Naaman had built his own reputation. In spite of his leprosy, he had been admired by the king. He was a mighty warrior. He had followers. But underneath it all, he was really sick. And no matter how great he thought he had become... It became more and more difficult to hide what was really going on underneath. He could not continue to protect this false image. He was literally falling apart. All of his strength, all of his power, all of his influence could not heal the sickness that was going on inside of him. And do you know what? This is each and every one of our stories. This is each and every one of our stories. Because even, we don't even know how sick we actually are. Unless God even reveals it to us. Throughout life, we learn what it takes to succeed or to find approval. We do our best to live up to that, 
and hide the parts that don't help. Maybe our hard work and our dedication begins to build a strong reputation. These are the things that we begin to wear as part of who we are. That's where we begin to make the mistake. As we wear those as part of who we are, we begin to say we are our job title. We are our experience. We are our education. And therefore, these things will take me through. These things will get me where I need to be. And when we're feeling insecurity, it's actually the backside of pride. We're insecure because the things in which we choose to be secure in, how well we do, how we look, who's in our life, are not secure. They've let us down. They've hurt us. They've told us we're not worthy. Insecurity is the backside of pride because ultimately we need to stand on the truth of who God says we are. At some point, we have to come to terms with the fact that no matter how much, how much, We have put on on the outside. We're still sick and in need of saving. You cannot mend the pain and hurt and discouragement, disillusionment, anger, bitterness, resentfulness on your own. Slowly, day after day, week after week, month after month, it is deteriorating the soul inside of you. Naaman gets to that place and hears of a way he might get help. This is our second thought. Pride kills until it is called out. Pride kills until it is called out. So Naaman comes to Elisha with all of his impressiveness and is expecting to just wave his hand and make him well. Or at least send him back to his own rivers where he can wash in privacy. My sense is in this story at some level, Naaman still thinks he is in control. I'm sure he had to be getting more and more discouraged as his body wasted away every day. But hope was sparked when his servant girl tells him that he could be healed. Anyone who has had experience in recovery, anyone here have experience in recovery? (laughs) Understands this dilemma really well. The first step is the most difficult step. To admit you are powerless That no amount of willpower or planning or influence can heal your sickness. The first step is being honest about that. You have to come clean before you can be clean. I think that Naaman is still struggling with his condition in this story. I don't think he wants anyone to know how sick he really was. He didn't want to lose any of the respect or influence that he had worked so hard to gain. And yet, what Elisha sends him to do is go down to the River Jordan and wash seven times with the encouragement of his officers. He goes. So visualize this. Powerful, influential, admired Naaman 
making his way down to the Jordan River with his people, all the entourage that came with him, likely a group of strangers wondering what's going on, and he had to strip away all of his covering and walk out into the river and dip seven times. He had to truly reveal what things looked like underneath. Layers are taken off until only the sickness of a diseased body is left. Why? Is this for shame? Is this to embarrass him? Naaman needs to understand that the first step in getting clean is to know that he is not clean. He needs to take that first step. This is no small thing for Naaman, but he musters the courage to lay it all down. And in faith, he enters the river. And this is what he discovers. That pride leads to death, but surrender leads to life. Amen? Pride leads to death. We all suffer with it, guys, every single one of us. And it looks different. It looks different in all of us. It's really easy to point out pride in each other. (laughs) Oh, I can identify that. (laughs) But it's pretty subversive. It's in the water in which we swim. Like, it is just in and through. Pride leads to death, but surrender leads to life. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Make your way up here. Verse 14 says, So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times, as the man of God had instructed him. And his sin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. He chose to surrender his pride. He dipped again. He chose to surrender his image. He dipped again. He chose to risk losing the respect of those around him. He dipped again. All of a sudden, he notices his body is starting to heal. The hope that was bubbling up inside of him is getting bigger and bigger. He dipped again. He let go of his sense of control. He dipped again. And he started to know that his body was being changed, that there was truth in what the God of Israel had said. And as he came out of the water, everything had changed for him. And as we close this morning, I believe that God offers us opportunities like this on a regular basis. Because pride is such that it's something that we need to dip. (laughs) I'm not going to finish that sentence. It's something that we need to deal with on a regular basis. The truth is, we need to go down to the Jordan River. Because guess what? It's building up again. Guess what? That thing you just went through with that person... All the pain that was there, all the conflict, all the frustration, all the anger, it's building up again. Guess what? When you were embarrassed at work or you had a failure, pride is right there. It wants to take you that direction. But God wants you to be free. God wants you to be healed. 
God wants to give you a humble heart that has incredible, profound perspective as to why you were made, when, how you were made, and what you are to do here on this earth. Wouldn't it be great to walk out of here fully released from that stress of the pride that we carry around, fully released from insecurity, fully released from having to compare and weigh and measure and decide if you're enough? Wouldn't it be great to walk out of here free? Would be great. And that is what we can do. That is what God is offering because guess what? He loves us. His mission is not to prove that we have shortcomings. He already knows that. We already know that. Come on. That's not his mission. His mission is to, tr- is to prove that he is the Lord of all. And that he came to set us free. And as he sets us free, we get to walk alongside other people and lead them to Jesus, who also will set them free. Amen? And we will live, we will live in a city. We will live in a community. We will live in a space where people are learning what it means to be free and not to be in the captivity of pride, not to compare and wrestle and be aggressive with one another. Instead, come together and partner with each other. Wouldn't that be great? As our worship team um, plays, I want to give us an opportunity. And I want to be the first one. I want to be the first one to respond. If you're sitting here this morning and um, you know, the spirit just kind of brings some things to mind. It might not look like your 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 wrestle with pride might not look like Naaman's. Your wrestle with pride might look a little different. It might look more like insecurity. It might look like fear of of losing control. It might look like a deep-rooted resentfulness for pain. But as I was speaking, the Holy Spirit is just stirring something in you. If you've been trying to manage a sickness in your body or even a sickness in your heart, or a sickness in your mind, if you've been attempting to try to hold your life together, even though it feels like one misstep will bring it all down around you, if you've been holding that, if you've been sitting in that, let's get free of that this morning. Because this morning, here's my invitation. If any of you have something on the inside that needs a supernatural touch from the Lord. If any of you is willing to take a step of faith and say, you know what? I tried all I can and I'm tired of hiding this. I'm tired of managing this. I want to let it go. I want to dip in the river. I want to surrender it. I want healing in that place that I just can't seem to find on my own. This is a great invitation. This is a moment this morning. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Will you just stand where you're at. I'm going to start. I'm already standing, but I'm going to start. I need that. Will you stand this morning and say, God, I will take a step of faith because I believe you are who you say you are. 
I believe you can heal me in those places that nothing else can. I believe you will do the work that you came to do. If you're saying that this morning, we're standing, and would you guys just really just kind of reach out towards one another? We're going to pray. Oh, Father God, you knew of this moment before we even came this morning. You knew what it was that was inside each one of us. You know the depth of it. You know how hard we have tried to wrestle with it, to hide it, to manage it. And Lord, it is taking us over. It is a broken part of us, God, that we want to be free of. In your mighty name, I pray that you would set us free. Through the power of your spirit, you would set us free this morning. That you would set every every part of us that is in this place, you would set us free. That it would not be of our own power. That it would make no sense. That it would be your supernatural power moving in and through us right now. In your mighty name, we pray, Lord God. We pray for healing. We pray for physical healing in your mighty name. In From our heads to our toes to our ligaments, Father, we pray your spirit of healing over this place right now in your mighty name, God. We pray for emotional reconciliation, Lord, where there's brokenness in relationships, God. We pray that it would end. Lord Jesus, bring healing to relationships. Help us to take the first step towards reconciliation. Give us a supernatural power to forgive and to offer grace and to let it go and to surrender, Father God. We pray for deep pain in our heart. Father, we pray for the struggle of trying to be enough. God, I pray you would give us the courage to surrender that and believe that we are enough because of who you say we are. God, give us the courage to believe you. Will you increase our belief in your mighty name? Increase our belief, Lord. Build our faith, Lord Jesus. Help us to step into new places, Lord. We are at the precipice, Lord. You have been asking us to step out for a while now, and we don't think we can. Father, I pray against that voice in your mighty name, that we can do all things through you who give us strength. When we are walking out the mission that you have developed and created us for, God, give us the courage to do that, Lord Jesus, we pray. Father, I pray over our kids. I pray over our teenagers. I pray over our young adults, Lord God. I pray for an incredible amount of healing and strength, Lord Jesus, that they would rise up and be the next generation that would proclaim your name. And whatever holds them back, Lord, I pray against that in your mighty name, that bondages would be broken, that we would walk out of here free, That we would be free. We would accept your invitation to be healed. We would receive all that you're saying to us. We wouldn't walk out here and doubt that. We would believe. And we would say yes and amen. Yes and amen, God, to what you are calling us to. Yes and amen to the truth of who you say we are. Because we are human, but we are greatly loved. We have things that we do wrong but we are incredibly valuable. Yes and amen. Father, give us eyes to see what it is that you are doing. 
Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your incredible spirit and all that you are at work doing. I believe with my whole heart you are at work. Even now, even in this moment, you are at work. You are healing. As we step into the river, you're healing us. And maybe we need to do it seven times. Maybe we need to do it another time. Maybe we walk out of here and we feel like, did that really happen? You do it again. Step out again. Step out again. Step out again and say, yes. Yes, God. I'm going to choose to believe you. I'm going to choose to step into what it is that you have made me and called me to do. No matter how hard it is. Yes. I'm going to believe for this healing in my body. I'm going to believe for this healing in my mind and my spirit and my heart in my relationships, in my family. Yes, God, we believe it. In your mighty name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Amen.